We want to let folks know that there is, I think we have nursery, yes, we have nursery available for the littlest ones, up to age three, I think is what we've asked. So I encourage you guys to be a part of that and let your little ones go if they so desire. All righty. Got lots of notes. It's a problem we have like that, that week that we had last week is that, you know, I was prepared last week and I had a lot less notes, um, but I've had an extra week to percolate and <laughs> so so I had to add some extra stuff um, so hopefully we'll have time to get through everything if not well we'll, we'll make do um, but we have uh, just a number of passages of scripture we're going to be looking at this morning so I hope you guys are ready and one thing you know you might want to think about investing is a good um, study bible one that has tabs or something um, if you don't already have one because it makes it so much easier to look up passages in Scripture. I know everybody says, well, we got pew Bibles, and we do, but the pew Bibles really aren't for church members. They're for visitors that show up that didn't have a Bible, because you don't expect visitors always to be prepared, but you ought to be prepared. So I know some of you are like going into the digital age nowadays, and it's all electronic. I get that, and that's probably even quicker too, but um, still, something to think about. Um, the first thing I wanted to get to real quick is just a um, uh, the beginning passage. There's a, a passage of scripture that um, I just have been just dwelling on for a while. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Francis Chan. I enjoy hearing his sermons, and some of his work is is just phenomenal. And he is um, in uh, city of San Francisco doing amazing work with um, the down and out folks that are forgotten. And the title of this sermon is really called "Not Quite." Um, and I'll explain that as we go on. But this is going to be the final sort of sermon that I've been doing in a series that we've been calling Supernatural, um, and we're going to be dealing with the, the dark side of the body, um, the other side that we don't always talk about. Um, and so that's the direction we're going this morning. But to start off with, in Isaiah chapter 57, um, there's a powerful passage that I think ought to be part of every Christian's you know, repertoire. It should be something that we spend our time thinking about. It should be something that we that we write and put on our walls in our office or our or refrigerator. Or Sandy likes to put. Um, she likes to draw, uh, not draw, write Bible verses on our on our mirrors. In fact, just about every mirror in the house has a has a phrase or a Bible verse or two or four on there that Sandy has found that's just very uplifting because she wants pretty much everywhere that she is looking, she wants to be able to see a passage of scripture in our house. Um, and it's been a really uh, unique thing for us in our house. Um, but Isaiah chapter 57, and it's actually two verses, but the verse that I really want you to look at is, is the beginning of verse 15. But I thought that it was appropriate to look at verses 14 and 15. So I'm just going to read it to you. I know you guys have probably turned there by now. Um, this is what it says. It says, and it, and it will be said, this is, the, this is what the prophet Isaiah is telling to the people of Israel then. He says, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is, this is it. Humility is our watchword. Love is our duty. We should love with a humble heart. And we do that so that we can build up, so that we can restore, so that we can see the kingdom of God transform the lives of individuals in ways that, that you can't really explain. Now, in light of that, I did give you guys some passages of Scripture to look up last time we gathered, a couple weeks ago, um, and I wanted to start off there as we begin to, to look at what God is, is trying to ask for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, the first passage I asked you guys to, to look up was found in 1 Peter. Um, so we're going to go take a, take a hard right in the Bible um, into the New Testament from the Old, and you'll find uh, Peter's a small book, it's easy to overlook. Um, there's only five little chapters in the first Peter, and um, you can read it it's sitting in just a few minutes. Um, but it's a powerful book, and I know that theologians have spent years and years of their life um, trying to fathom, even the, the scratch the surface of the depth of the meaning in this book, and, and it's definitely a powerful one. I encourage you to look at first uh, Peter. So starting in verse 7 in chapter 4, um, Peter is coming to the end of his book. 
He's coming to the end of his, his time with um, the folks that, that the Holy Spirit is wanting to, to uh, use him as an instrument to minister to, to give them instructions about how to move to the next level, how to move past where they are. Um, and you see it, in verse 7 it says, and the end of all things is near. The end of time, he says, is near. It's amazing how even back in those days, 2,000 years ago, Peter was waiting for the end of time. We are too. Um, I can, you, just, you don't have to go very long. You don't have to w- read too many news articles before you realize that we're living in the end times. And we've been doing that for a long time now. Um, and it says, uh, Peter says, Therefore, be, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. I saw one version said without grumbling. Um, I'm like, do we have to actually break that word complaint down to, a, to an easier word to understand? We all know what complaint is, but I, it's one of the challenges, I think, especially if you work with kids, you know that kids oftentimes like to mumble right under their breath. That annoys the crud out of me. Um, but I can tell you it's something that annoys God as well. Um, so we should be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one is received, and here's the part that's important to look at, each one has received a special gift. Employ it, serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking with the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the part of this that I really want to look at, and the one we're going to be zeroing in on for the rest of the message, is going to be, um, the nut of it is going to be found in verse 10. As each one has received a special gift. Each one of us has been given a gift. And you say, well, are you sure, Pastor, that every single person in the church, every single Christian, every single person that's accepted Christ their Savior and and has chosen to follow Him on this path, every single person has a special gift? Yes, I am. How do you know that? Well, it's easy. God's Word says it, period. We don't need to go any further. It's very clear. And this is the thing that I think that is a challenge for me, and it's something that I realized a couple weeks ago, actually several weeks ago, that this is an area that I need to repent of. And I think if I do, I think all of us do. And this is the thing, guys. We are all part of the body of Christ. That's the imagery that we see. And we're going to see this in the scripture as we, as we move through this morning. And as part of the body of Christ, we should use each part for the glory of God. And here's something that may shock some of you. There is no useless part in the body of Christ. There is no vestigial organ. There's no appendix in the body of Christ, right? At least not one that's unusable. There is nothing that is a part of the body of Christ that was an afterthought, an accident, or not useful. And this is the danger that I find in churches. In all my life, I've been serving in churches for 25 years now. I've been doing this. And every church that I've been a part of, there's always that mantra that comes out that we have the 80-20 rule, you know, where 20% of the people do 80% of the work and 80% of the people watch the 20% of the people do their work. And that's just something that, that, that you're taught in school, you're taught in, in real practical life in the church work. It just seems to be that case. And it occurred to me that maybe that's because that those of us that are, uh, maybe I'm including myself there, maybe I shouldn't, but those of us that are the 20% don't expect the 80% to do anything. And so, Pastor, that's not us. Well, is it? Because we clutch so tightly to our ministries that, that God has given us charge over that sometimes we hold them too tight. And you say, well, that never happens. Sure it does. Just take, for example, a, a, a sample conversation that is mythical in nature but yet can be found in any church. Well, pastor, I need to talk to you about Sister Sally. What about Sister Sally? Well, you know she's on the praise team. Yes, she's been on the praise team for 45 years. Well, you know that she sounds like a dying cow. <laughs> yes, I'm aware. And we turn her way down. Well, you know she needs to get off the stage. Because we're trying to build a professional praise team. 
One that's going to glorify God and make the, make the people in the pews weep every time they hear the sound of, of the angels singing through our voices, right? No. How dare us put limits on the body of Christ? How dare us claim that there's somebody that's not worthy to serve? If that doesn't hit you where you live, you need to check your salvation. Because I've been weeping every day for the last several weeks preparing for this. Because it's something that I am incredibly guilty of. I don't often expect people that are part of the body to be as engaged in ministry as they should. You know, we've heard the whole adage, and I know, Phil, you'd be the first one to, to talk about this, especially in light of the surgery. You know, that whole adage, you don't use it, you lose it. You know, I was in a boot for like two weeks because I had a bad foot. Two weeks. And Don was telling me, oh, you've lost a lot of muscle. And I'm like, Phew, I didn't lose any muscle. And then he said, okay, stand on one foot without holding on to anything. Now do it for how long, you know? I couldn't do it. I could not do it. It was amazing in just two weeks with that boot on how much muscle I lost. Well, you know, we call ourselves the body of Christ, right? Well, think about this. As the body of Christ, there's the idea that if you don't use it, you lose it. But I look at it this way. Either we need to be the body of Christ or you need to bury it because it's dead. So we as a congregation are either the body of Christ or we're not. And our body, our body is going to be defined not by our strongest members. It's going to be defined by our weakest and our response to them. Now, I don't want to just be Al Weeks' words on this. I think we need to, to dive into Scripture a little further and see what not only what Peter had to say, but Paul had to say as well. So if you take a, take a slight left, you'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's discussion on the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, Paul loved to write about the Holy Spirit. You know, the Greek word there is, is pneuma hagios, the Holy Spirit, Spirit holy. Um, but it's a powerful phrase that, that has become synonymous with the third part of the Trinity. It is what we call the part of the Trinity that was gifted to us that Peter just talked about, that each Christian is given a gift. Everybody has that gift. And Paul continues this discussion, this line of thought, as he wants to share what this means. Now, this is a challenging passage for a lot of pastors, especially those of us in Baptist worlds, because, you know, we start talking about the Holy Spirit, and that really kind of freaks people out. And I ask you, what would we do in this Baptist church that we have, where we barely say hallelujah, we don't ever say amen, unless Tom's on a roll, and Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you, brother. But there you go. <laughs> Hallelujah. There you go. But, uh, you know, we hardly ever talk. I, I mean, we don't raise our hands. Heaven forbid us actually, you know, move when we're, when we're in the spirit, right, in that moment. But nobody dances. I mean, I sway a little bit, but I try to keep one foot always in place because that's the Baptist way of dancing, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one step. Yeah, it's the one step. So, because that shows God that you're interested, but you're not that moved, right? You just, you don't want to quite go there. You know, what would we do if somebody stood up and started speaking in tongues in this church? That's exactly what you do. That's what Gretzel Paul says. And if there's no interpretation, sit down and shut up. Period, right? You know, this is not... A difficult concept. The Holy Spirit is alive and active in the life of His people. There isn't a gift that has faded. You say, well, well, that, Pastor, you're getting into the tongues area. That's a dangerous area. Well, yeah, we can get into the tongues area, but Paul said that's the smallest of all the gifts. It's the least of any of the gifts. I see gifts in here that I would love to be a part of our church. And if we gave up tongues, which we don't even have them, right? So we've already given them up. If we don't even talk about the tongues and we just focus on the other ones, how many of us would like to have some of these other gifts? Let's look at them. This is uh, chapter 12 in the book of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians. You see, and we'll just start off in verse 4, right? Because this is now what Paul is talking about. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit here. You have many gifts, but one Spirit that gives. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. 
Okay, we're still talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit here. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works in all persons. Notice the three-part discussion here, right? We're talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Paul is invoking all of those. He didn't call it the Trinity, but he might as well have. And he says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Oh, wait a minute. We can stop there for just a second. Now, I tell you, I'm not a numbers person. And I know that you'll never find accounting in the list of spiritual gifts. But I am firmly convinced that accounting is one of those spiritual gifts. And I'm very thankful of our brother Bill, who has a, has a mathematical mind. I could throw numbers at him like a calculator and then add, say, add them together. He could do it in seconds. Faster than I could type it in. It's amazing. That is a gift. And Bill has been serving as our treasurer for probably longer than he expected. Uh, but he is, we can't find anybody better than you replace you. So you've got the job till you die, brother. So, <laughs> you know, that's just the way. This is a Baptist church, right? This is how we do things, you know? So, but th- there are gifts. And each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. And we could stop right there and spend all day talking about that, right? But we don't need to stop there because just as Paul, uh, Peter said that there's a reason why we're given these gifts. We're not given these gifts so we can be a special snowflake. I mean, if that's what you want a gift for, that's nice. Let's take our little gift. We can, we, can, we can polish it every morning, sit it on our mantle. We can look at it. Occasionally, we can bring people over and point to this. This is my wonderful manifestation that God has given me. This is my gift. And I keep it right here safe and protected on my shelf in my house behind triple locked doors. I wouldn't want to waste it, right? Hmm. No, it says here that each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one was given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. That's a, that's, that's a gift. One another is given a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. There's another gift. Another is given faith by the same Spirit, and other gifts of healing by one Spirit, and another affecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to, to another the distinguishing of spirits, and the various kinds of tongues, and others another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing each one individually, just as He, God the, Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, wills. That's a pretty powerful statement Paul is running out there. He's, and he did not give an exhaustive list. He just gave a small, truncated list so that they would realize it's, it's, what it is. He's not saying this is all the gifts you can possibly have in the church. This is just simply saying these are some of the many that are out there. And it's all given by the Spirit of God. And all of them are given for the gifting of the common good. As Peter said, to be used for the, to build up the body. To strengthen us as a unit. Each gift is a powerful gifting from the Holy Spirit. And every Christian has one, at least. And we are told we should be using it. This is an interesting thing. Paul uses three different words um, all the time through this discussion and in several other areas in other, in other, in other books. He uses the word gifts, which is that word charismata that we, that we as Baptists sort of cringe every time we hear it because we're just not sure where it's going to go. And that simply means spirit-empowered, right? It just means the charismata, they're spirit-inspired, spirit-empowered. It's what God is gifting us to. He's giving us a charismata. He's giving us a spirit-empowered gift to be able to use for the edification of the body and the furthering of the kingdom. Then there's the word service. This is the great word. This is the word that we have in Greek called diakonia. Uh, diakonia, um, something along those lines. We get the word deacon out of that. It simply means service. A lot of people have a, a, a misunderstanding of the word deacons. We oftentimes think that deacons mean administration, right? Deacon means sitting in a, in a, in a stuffy suit with a, with a tie and, and, and looking disapprovingly along the lines whenever young kids run past them, right? Um, and in one church I served, deacons was synonymous for a pole outside where the deacons gathered and smoked. And they would smoke their cigarettes and drop their butts into the pole outside in the parking lot, you know? And that was the deacon's pole. Ask any kid in that church. That was where the deacons lived, you know? that's not what a deacon is. A deacon is a person that's willing to wait tables. He's willing to, 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 to strap on an apron. He's somebody that's willing to minister to the lowliest of lowly in the body of Christ and help them to be stronger, to grow them, so that when they are done being their deacon service, they can have a chain of people behind them that are strong enough to take their place because they've done their job to build them up. 
This is service that Paul loves to throw out there. And the final word that he uses here is working. The word in Greek is energima. I think it's how you pronounce it. We get the word energy from it. And the best description I can give you that's theological in origin is, is simply this. Is, is the work that we do is that energema. But the results of that work are all God. Right? We're the gear that turns. He's the electricity that makes the gear turn. So we do the work, but the, the results are 100% God. You see, Holy Spirit is our down payment. I want you to flip over to the book of Ephesians really quick. It's not that far from Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Really easy. So in, in Ephesians chapter 1, we got two little verses that I think that would be very useful for you guys. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13, it simply says this, In whom also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation... Having also believed, you were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is given a ple- as a pledge of our own inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. This gift that we are given by the Holy Spirit is the down payment he gives us of what heaven is going to be like. That's it. And we're called to use God's gifts the way that he has called us to do. And as the manifestation of this Holy Spirit is in us, as our gifts, we are called to use them for the common good. Romans, Peter, both of them talk about it. These are powerful statements. Now you say, Pastor, I'm right there with you, 100%. Except for the fact that I'm part of the 80%, right? Right? I'm going to tell you, I've always felt like I was not quite. I've always felt like I'm not quite good enough, not quite strong enough, not quite fast enough. I'm not quite. Now, some of you guys were here when I got here, right? And you hired a not quite pastor. (laughs) I feel for you. Oh, wait a minute. Pastors aren't hired, are they, Mike? They're called. So if you're called a not-quite pastor, it must say something about you guys. And if you feel led to this church, that must say something about you. It's quite possible that you guys are just like me. You're not quite. Because by ourselves, we're not quite. And I think that sometimes we can lose sight of that. Because we look at how good we are or how, how, how effective we are in certain areas and we oftentimes think that, that maybe I'm actually arrived. And then we, once we, and this is the danger of all Christians for a long time. When you're a Christian for a long time, this is one of the dangers that we have is that oftentimes we will begin to believe that we've arrived in our Christianity and we finally made it and therefore we're at a place where we can, we can be a little more judgmental towards those that haven't. And I'm going to tell you that there are always going to be people in this church and any church, but this church too, that irritates you. Always going to be that way. And I'll be honest with you, you can ask my wife straight up. We've been married almost 25 years. And um, she'll tell you, she'll be the first one to tell you, she gets irritated by me all the time. I'm a hard person to live with. I'm a hard person to work with. I've mentioned that in the past. I oftentimes overlook things I shouldn't and, and underlook things that I should. Um, I just, uh, I don't even know what I just said doesn't matter. No one else does either. There you go. Just try to puzzle that out. Let me write that down for future reflection. Okay. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's the way it is. But there's always going to be members that, are, that irritate us, right? The real, it's evolving. The real question, the real question here is, why has God bought, brought them into your life? You know, our tendency is to say, well, they must be useless, right? They're a useless member of the body of Christ. Maybe we would be better off if we just didn't have them around, right? I don't think that's the case. If God has brought a quote-unquote useless member into your life, you have to ask yourself why. 
What is God who is sovereign, who knows everything, who has planned everything from the beginning of time to the end? Why has he allowed Sister Sally to come into your life at this moment? Even if she's the most irritating person you know. I go back to my previous statement. There are no useless parts in the body of Christ. All we have are damaged, weak, and sick parts. And here's one of the most important parts that you can, if you can remember what I'm saying now, it will be useful for you later on. You see, if we can't care for our own body, Bill, you know this, if we can't care for our own damaged knee, or our messed up back, or our, or, or our neck that just won't turn right, if we can't affect and effectively care for our own body, we will never be able to reach out and help others in the world or in our community. Period. Self-care comes first. So rather than complaining that there's only 20% working and that there's so much work to do, and then we love to use that passage that Jesus talked about where he said, pray for the workers for the fields are ripe unto harvest and the workers are few, but the need is many. You know, we say these things, right? This is a Bible verse we love to jump on, especially if you're part of that 20% that loves to work in the church and you're saying, yes, and the workers are few. and We've just got all these people sit around as professional pew sitters. Well, you know, maybe you, if you're the 20%, ought to get off your butt and go to the pew sitter and and engage them into their into your ministry, right? I mean, you know these people sitting here. You know their gifts. You sit with them and drink coffee and eat dinner and go to their houses and you spend time with them. Some of you have been living side by side for 20, 30, 40, 80 years. You know each other. You know where the gifts are. If they're not moving, that's on us. Really? Because we are saying, you're not worthy to be a part of our ministry. You sit back and be a spectator, and we will do the work. That's not the way it's going to do. Every single person sitting in a pew today that calls themselves a Christian has a gift. Now comes the hard part, right? That's the easy part, Phil. That's the easy part. Hard part is when we, when we pull out James. Mike, I'm going to pull James out. The rule of James is tough, I know, and it's like when you start pulling James out, I, 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 I hear sputtering sometimes, but, 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 but wait a minute now. Yeah, that's the big guns. Let's go to James. Ah, oh, James, 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 James. Why did you have to write this book? Oh, that's right. The Holy Spirit told you to do it. Oh, that's right. You were moved because the church needed it, because... Oh my goodness, God looked down through time and saw First Baptist Kenai and said, oh my gosh, they need this. Okay, so James chapter 4. I tell you, there is no bad chapter in the book of James. They're just hard chapters, and every one of them are hard. James chapter 4. Okay, so I'm going to predicate this by saying this. Can we all basically agree that the Scripture is telling us that every person that calls themselves a Christian has a gift? Don't anybody disagree? Now's your chance. Okay, then I hear no disagreements. So in Robert's rules, that means we can move forward, right? Um, we must consent, okay. So there we are. So we can, we can agree as a collective body that every person that has a gift. We can also agree that both Peter and Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the very words of God spoken through them onto paper so that we can read, says that we were given these gifts for the common good and to help and edify the body. Any disagreements? Okay, seeing none, let's move on to the next agenda point. The next agenda point is this. Verse 17, chapter 4, James. I'm going to ask you to mark it and underline it, but I know some of you aren't going to do that. Because after you read this, you're not going to want to. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, that's sin. So if you're sitting there, and I don't care if you're 3 or 103, if you're sitting there, and you're not actively engaged in ministry in some capacity or other. And you say, well, pastor, you just don't know. I've been doing this. It's time for the younger kids to straighten up and do their job. Yes, maybe it is. But maybe the younger kids need some inspiration and teaching and mentoring and guidance. Because maybe the young people don't know what to do. That's right. And that's the wrong way to do it. 
Because let me tell you something, when you're trying to fix something complicated and do it on your own, it's a, that's just a recipe for a lot of busted knuckles, buddy. <laughs> so do I. So do I. Guys, if we are not doing what God has called us to do, we're in sin, period. And so, well, Pastor, I work hard for the church. Yes, you do. Who are you bring along with you? There's a reason why Jesus sent them out by twos. There's a reason why Jesus said, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to have you listen to what he said. He said, I'm going to give you all authority. You're going to heal. You're going to witness. You're going to pronounce the gospel. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to take authority. You're going to do all this crazy and amazing stuff. And you're going to go in groups of two. When was the last time you saw Jesus send out one person? Never did. No, never did. Because there's power in that. Reread the book of Acts. Especially focus on the times when Peter and James, or Peter and John, went into the temple. And Peter was the vocal one. It's not like James was sitting back saying, go Peter, I'm loving it, I'll be back here, I got your back. No, you know Peter was deep in prayer. You know James was deep in prayer. You know they were steeped in the word of God. And when, when, when Peter slipped up and fell down and got weak, James was there to pick him up. Think about Moses on the hill holding his arms up so the army would win. When he dropped his arms, his army would, his, the army would lose. He, if he didn't have Aaron and her, the two most unassuming individuals in Scripture, we don't know anything about her. H-U-R, not H-E-R, so you know. If it weren't for those two men, the army would have lost. The Holy Spirit inspired them. Everybody has a gift, and there is no insignificant gift in the body of Christ. You say, well, pastor, I don't know what my gift is. Ask your friends in the church. Ask people around you. Diligently pray and seek God to give you an answer. Because I can promise you, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are, Caleb. If God has called you to serve, serve. Find a way. Because if you don't, you're going to be in sin. And that's not from Al Weeks. That's from the rule of James. That's the rule of James, man. You know, I had mentioned before, sometimes we might think that, that there might be someone in our estimate that, we, that thinks that, that, you know, there's those people in the church, and you know them, the ones that, are far, that, that take far more than they give, and those are the ones, and I'm guilty of this myself, and I oftentimes think to myself, and I say, well, maybe we, and I'm using the we, you know, the royal we, we would be better off if they weren't here, because all they really are is a thorn in the body. Hmm. I think you could probably make a good argument that they may not be the thorn. That maybe we are. Now you guys know that I started off my life going, in the, going into the biological world. I saw myself as being a doctor. I saw myself moving into the worlds of, 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 of high surgery and lots of money and wonderful things and, you know, lots of blood, of course. I don't think I really want to go in there anymore, but I was there. I was doing that, and I found out that, that the body is an amazing thing. And you know, if you get a thorn, a splinter, or, or a foreign object in your skin, the body is really good about breaking it down and getting rid of it, okay? If it's organic in any way, then the body will break it down and move it out. Now, there may be some issues, and you may have to actually cut a hole and help your, help your body get that thorn or that splinter out, um, and that's the case. But the thing is, you have to ask yourself, am I the thorn, or am I helping the thorn that's there? Do I really think that a part of the body of Christ is not really a part of the body of Christ, that they're actually a thorn in our side? I recently, you guys know I'm a woodworker, sort of, not really, trying to be. And I was turning a particular wood, it's called Purple Heart. I was making this bowl. It's a nice little bowl. I could probably have done better. But the thing about Purple Heart is it's intensely dense. It's a hard wood to, to turn. And as I, was, as I was turning this down and making this bowl come into shape, starting from a square blank, turning it round, um, there were times that you just have to, it's spinning so fast in the lathe, that you just got to put your hand there just to feel, and I probably shouldn't have. I think they say I'm not supposed to put my hand there, but I did anyway, just to, just to see, you know, how is it turning? Is it feeling round? Is it where it needs to be? Because I didn't want to turn the machine off. And wouldn't you know it, the splinter gouged my thumb. And Sandy will tell you, it looked ugly. See, what they don't tell you when you buy the wood is that Purple Heart is toxic, okay? 
and, and the dust is probably not good to breathe. I'm <laughs> sorry, Tom. But, uh, so I probably shouldn't have been breathing without a mask, which I was. So maybe I'm a little messed up, and that's what you guys get the benefit of that now. But, um, but underneath my thumb, I had this huge red welt that was growing up in this pus module that had formed around my, my splinter, right? And it's like, I couldn't do anything. Try to do something without your thumb, right? You can't do it. Nothing in this world works without a thumb. And so every time I would reach for something, pick something up, touch anything, I was reminded how stupid I was to do that. That's what a thorn in the flesh does, right? And what it finally, I finally got to the point where I couldn't fix it myself, and I just went to Sandy and said, fix me, you know. And she did, because she's brilliant like that. She knows how to do these things. And, but, you know, she got me where I needed to be, and what really needed to happen was I need to excise that thorn. There are times that, that needs to happen. But if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself part of the body of Christ, you are not a foreign body. You are not toxic, and you don't need to be excised. You need to be healed. You need to be brought to full strength. And that's our job as the body. That's what we are called to do. That's why you come. You know, I, I was just reading a book recently, and it's going to lead to a study this summer we're probably going to do when I give the teachers a break. Um, it's by a book called Why They Stray. Um, talking about why people leave the church and never come back after they graduate high school. And it's a wonderful study. We're going to look at uh, just uh, the biblical basis of why this happens and, and how we as a church can try to reach out to that generation that seems to be lost. You know, it's like graduate high school, and the first thing they do is they never darken the door of a church again, at least not until they have kids of their own. And so we lose a whole, whole generation that go off and wander. And those of you that have kids, you know what that's like. I've got, I've got three kids that are out of the house right now, and, and only one of them that I know of is actually attending services on a regular basis, and it breaks my heart. Because I want my kids in the house of God, because I recognize the value. But there is something that's going to be a challenge that we're going to have to face. And I think one of the reasons why the people are leaving, in fact, I know one of the reasons why people leave the church, is because they don't see any value in it. They're not put to work. They're not allowed to exercise their gifts because they're told they're too young, too slow, not quite. You're, not, you're a Christian, but you're not quite good enough yet to be useful. Therefore, we're going to marginalize you, push you aside. We're going to give you this here. We're going to feed you the weak sauce in hopes that one day you will grow strong on your own and be useful. But the problem is that never happens. The final passage I want us to turn to is in the book of 1 Timothy. Not far from where we are now. This is Paul's final words to the young preacher that he was mentoring. The young preacher that, that he wanted to share the, the joys and the sorrows of what ministry was like. And if you read First and Second Timothy, you get that. It's right in the first chapter. So it's First Timothy, chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 20. The final verse in the first chapter. I want you to read about this. This was just Paul who was, who was dis worrying about this. Actually, let's go back to verse 18. That way we get a context here. He says, This command I entrust you, Timothy, my son, verse 18, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. Yes, there were prophecies that were spoken over, this, over Timothy in order to encourage him as a young man to be able to do what he was called to do. We don't know what those prophecies were, but we had, know they had some to do with him serving as a preacher and as a, as a mentee of Paul the militant and amazing apostle. Paul says, By these prophecies made over you that you fight the good fight, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, suffering shipwrecked in regards to their faith. And look at verse 20. It says, Among these are two guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so they will be taught not to blaspheme. It's an interesting passage, right? The body of Christ in Timothy's day was so powerful and so amazing and so life-transformative that when people came to be a part of the church, they didn't want to leave. It became such a part of their body, such a part of their very existence, such a part of everything that was them, that they couldn't conceive of a life lived outside the body of Christ. Does that sound like our church on Sunday morning? The Sunday school answer is yes, of course, Pastor. 
real answer is no. No. And if that doesn't make you weep at night, I don't know what will. The sad part is, Paul was pointing out two people who had made shipwreck of their faith and life. And Paul had willingly pushed them outside the church, right? In order that they would be hopefully restored, that they will learn, they'll be taught not to blaspheme. It's not the only place that Paul talks about people that were, that were set outside the church. Every church I have served in, there has been a list of questions that they give me before they, they call me to, to, to ask whether or not they want me to be their pastor, right? And every single church, this one included, had a section on church discipline. And every single time, they, that was one of the main questions that's asked when I come down and answer questions of the congregation as they determine whether or not they want to, to, to have me come be their pastor. And they all ask about this. But none of them really want it, right? We all think about people that need to be excommunicated, right? But none of us really want it to be us or people we care about. And so what we really want to hear the pastor say is, you're fine, I won't kick any of you guys out of the church, but those other weird ones that have yet to arrive, that aren't quite us, oh yeah, they're gone. Maybe, maybe, maybe one Sunday and boom, they're out of here, right? That's kind of what we want because we like our holy club, right? We like having the, the collection of people that are like-minded, that, that think like us, that act like us. We don't want the weird ones, because that's, that just gives the body of Christ a bad image, right? That gives First Baptist Church Kenai a bad image. We wouldn't want people around here thinking that sinners go to this building. Who do we? No. No. Here's the saddest thing that I think Paul is teaching us in this passage. And if you took it, take it in light of the context that, of where we are today, right? Because Scripture has a historical context, it has a spiritual context, and it has a practical context. Every passage is like that. And so the practical, in our face, 2019, United States, Alaska, Kenai, First Church Kenai, we have a practical take on this. And here's the practical take, is that people nowadays are willingly putting themselves outside the church. The very thing that Paul said was the worst thing that can happen to a human being, people are willingly doing it. That hurts. Why? I think the reason why is because we're not doing our job. We are not engaging in self-care. We are not building up the body. We look at people in the congregation and we judge them within the first few minutes we meet them and we put them in two categories. Are you going to be in the 80 or the 20? And what, heaven help you if you get stuck in the 80. If you're in the 80, you're done, son. You will never get called up to the major leagues. You are relegated to the minors the rest of your life. And if we even put a bat in your hand, you'll be lucky. A lot of baseball metaphors. Sorry. I like baseball. The reality is, that's the wrong way to be. And I know some pastors say, well, pastor, oh, some pastors told me, oh, if I, if I just had a whole church full of 20 percenters, I could do so much. Believe me, you don't want that. Because those that are the most active people in the church are also the ones that complain the most. So, you know, just remember mind. But honestly, I would rather have an entire church filled with people who had no concept of the 80-20 rule. They just said, you know, we're here. We're a family. We are a body. Phil, I know you're struggling because your knee is not where it needs to be. Phil, how can I help you? What can I do? You know, they got people in the congregation right now that don't have jobs. We have people in the congregation that don't have a place to work because their building is broken. We've got people in this congregation right now that have a job but is being underused and utilized. We have people right now in this congregation that have skills and abilities that are untapped. We have kids in this, in this church that have potential that's not even being addressed. And we have a few people in the church that are clutching so tightly to our ministries that we refuse to bring another person in to teach them how to do what we do. Let me tell you something. If you're in a position of leadership, myself included, you need to be actively training a replacement, period. And if you're not, you're in sin, period. I can't say it any other way. 
Every single person in this church has a gift. You say, well, pastor, I've got a unique position. Nobody can do what I do. Hmm. I told my father that once. My father of fountain wisdom. Oh, dad, you just don't know what I do for this family. Oh, yeah. So my dad says, okay, I want you to do me a favor. I said, okay. I said, I want you to get me a bucket of water. I didn't know where this was going, but I was thinking his car washing was involved. Wasn't too enthusiastic, but I was, he was trying to teach me a point. And at this time in my life, I was actually trying to learn a little bit from my dad, um, as opposed to knowing everything that he supposedly knew, and I didn't need him anymore, right? So that happens when you get older. You know, you know more than your parents. Not really, but yeah. So I got this bucket of water, and he goes, okay, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stick your hand in that water. I'm like, okay. Now pull it out really fast. Go, okay. And did you see it? I said, see what? I'll do it again. I must have put my hand in that water six or seven times. I'm pretty thick. And I kept pulling it out. And he says, did you see it? And I said, see what? He says, the hole. What? Dad, it's a bucket of water. Yes, when you pulled your hand out, did you leave a hole? No. And he just walked away. I like to think I'm irreplaceable job security and all that. But it's not true. The truth is, there's about 10 men in this building that can preach far better than I can. The reality is, you have a not quite pastor that oftentimes tries to do it under my own power. And I fail often. And I know there's some of you that keep a catalog of my failures. I know I do. (laughs) What do you do with failure? That's it. The reality is, when I'm working under my own steam, I'm going to fail every time. Because I'm not quite. Fortunately for me, I serve a God who's phenomenal. They can take my not quite and turn it into more than enough. This morning, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, I'm one of the not quite. Unfortunately, I'm one of the 80 percenters. Unfortunately, I'm not doing all that I can do. Unfortunately, I'm not utilizing my skills. Or maybe I am and I'm not utilizing my skills enough to teach my replacement. I know this, this message hit everybody here because it hit me hard. Wherever you are, I know Jesus has an answer. It begins with salvation. It begins with simply acknowledging that he died on the cross for you. It begins with acknowledging that your sin was too great for you to do anything with and that you can't possibly make it to heaven without Jesus Christ and therefore you need what he did on the cross which was to take your sin from you, put it on himself and give you his righteousness so that you can stand in front of a holy God and actually call him Father. If you want that kind of relationship with God the Father, I guarantee you there are men and women in this building that will be able to open up God's word and show you. You do not have to leave here today not knowing where you're going to be for the rest of eternity. But the thing is, and this is the challenge, this is the part of the being a Baptist I struggle with, is if you think you can come down and say a prayer and you can listen to some nice words that a preacher says or maybe have Tom share with you about salvation for 10 minutes and that you can leave this building and be almost completely unchanged. And if you think you actually have a place in heaven when you die, I think you need to rethink that. Because when I hear about the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells within us, that gives us a gift as a down payment for salvation, when I am told that that gift is supposed to be used for the betterment and the glory of, the, of God and, and the betterment of his kingdom and the growth of the individuals around me and the body that, that we're trying to see grow here on earth, When I see that we are called to serve, not sit, then I need to ask myself, am I saved? You say, well, pastor, does that mean you have to work for your salvation? No. That means that salvation is the gift that you're given and that you spend the rest of your life trying to figure it out and work where God tells you to go. I can promise you this. Wherever you are with Jesus Christ, whether you're on the edge of thinking whether or not you want to be a Christian, whether you already are. Maybe you have not been using your gift. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you just need to take a moment and leave some burdens here so that you can feel lighter when you walk out the door. Maybe you have a friend or a relative or a brother that needs prayer. 
If you don't know someone needs prayer, I'll tell you right now, you can pray for Dan Dollar, who's struggling right now in Anchorage, as far as I know. Did he come home yet? No. He was supposed to call me yesterday. I don't think he did. He's struggling bad. He's struggling not just physically, but he's also struggling mentally. Chronic pain does that to you. Those of you that knows what it's like to be in pain constantly for year after year after year after year after year, it makes it really hard to get up in the morning and want to keep going. Well, you say, well, there you are throwing Dan stuff out there. Well, Dan told me I could. Or maybe you're the first-time visitor here and you're wondering whether or not you're going to spend the next few minutes being judged on your way out the door or this is a place you can find home. My hope and prayer is that you found a home. Whatever it is God is speaking to you this morning, I encourage you to follow it. We're going to open up the altar. We do every week. We're going to ask you to come if you want to come. We're going to say if the Holy Spirit is moving in you, please respond. I'd like to be able to say to you this may be the last chance you get in the house of God. The reality is that's true. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Take advantage of it today. So I encourage you to move as God has told you to move. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll ask our praise team to come up. Father, we thank you so much. I know I could probably go on for a few more hours preaching like this and I know that there are more examples throughout your word of what it means to serve you and to be your servant here. Father, I know that that there are at least 15 other verses I could have used as proof texts for what we're talking about. But Father, I know that our time is short and the message has been delivered. Father, I ask that you'll put for every Christian that's sitting here, Lord, that's that's using or not using our gifts, Father, I ask that you'll put a powerful conviction in our souls. Conviction to use them more effectively. To use our gifts to begin with. To see your body here, the body of your son, that we call the church, grow. Father, I ask that you'll continue to guide us as we seek to understand you and know you more. Father, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, if there's anyone in here that's never accepted you as their Savior, has never taken the first step on that path that leads them into your heaven, Father, I ask that you will guide them down today. Father, I ask that you'll give a a strong conviction in our hearts that our hearts might be broken for what breaks yours, that our souls might be convicted of what you're convicted of, And Father, when we read that passage in in the scripture where it says that you overlooked the city of Jerusalem and you weeped tears, longing to drag them all under your skirts and protect them. Father, we ask that you don't look at First Church Kenai that way. That we're not your wayward children, but we're an active, engaging body seeking to see your kingdom grow. Lord, again, I plead, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, don't don't let them leave here today without getting their heart right. The rest of us, move us, make us, mold us, keep us ever yours. In Jesus' name we pray.